believe that the encouragement of the Holy Ghost will come to us tonight as I preach the message that you've put on my heart. I thank you, Father God, that you've given me a gifting and the ability to be able to communicate your word. I thank you for the awesome privilege and responsibility of being able to do it. I thank you, Father God, that you allow me to stand in front of your people and communicate your holy word. What an awesome, awesome privilege I have. I thank you that the Holy Spirit of the living God, the author of this book and the teacher would minister through me and impart faith and impart encouragement and bring life and strength to us and hope to us in Jesus' name. I pray it. Jesus, this is what I pray, and I thank you that you hear the words that I speak. You take them to the Father. The Father will honor them that the Son may be glorified. That's what you said, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's turn to Mark chapter 9. And uh, I want to encourage you uh, in the Lord and with the Word and comfort you uh, with the Word tonight that you don't have to give up and you don't have to quit. Even if it seems like it's impossible, you don't have to quit. Amen? Amen. Mark chapter 9, verse 14, very familiar verse uh, to many of us, but we'll pick up this, this story. I hate to even use the word story because that almost makes it sound like it's a fairy tale. So we'll pick up this testimony of Jesus entering this boy's life. It says, and he came to the disciples. He saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one in the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So that's pretty messed up. No, for real, say that's pretty messed up. I mean, that's messed up. You may not think it's messed up until it started happening to you, then you'd think that's pretty messed up. So Jesus has this crowd of people that have come to him, and he sees the scribes talking, and Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? And this guy in the crowd just says, hey, I brought my son to you because I got a problem. I got an issue, and I need to get it fixed. See, my son has a mute spirit, and it seizes him, it throws him down, it causes him to foam at the mouth. I mean, that's messed up. He gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Now, you've heard this taught before, and it's absolute truth. It wasn't that they would not. It was that they could not. There's a huge difference. See, sometimes we find ourselves in a position where we're willing and not able, and we have to determine whether or not that's when that Bible verse shines through to you and I and say, you need to determine whether or not you're in faith. He says in 19, he answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, and he wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Say, that's messed up. Now, that sounds impossible, doesn't it? That sounds like an impossible situation. In the natural don't be all spiritual with me. If you were in the crowd, you'd be wanting to get away from this boy. Is this true or is this not? Don't lie in church now. Come on. If you were in the crowd, you would look at that and say, that's messed up. And you'd want to go on the other side of the crowd because you don't want to be wallowed on and foamed on. And what if he gnashed his teeth and got your pant leg? 
So as this boy sees him, the Bible says that this spirit convulses him, causes him to be rigid again, we see, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus said, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and in the water to destroy him. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responded and he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead. He fell right down to the ground, so that many said, Is he dead? And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him a question, And he said, what in the world was going on here, Jesus? And Jesus said, there's a power that comes on you when you fast and pray. And so Christians have taken that verse and made a whole entire doctrine out of fasting in the New Testament, which is only mentioned one time in the New Testament. Anyway, moving right along, I'm just being a pastor and trying to help you with doctrine. Moving along, uh, we see the more important aspect here isn't that Jesus said this only comes out, but the more important thing here is up against the impossible situation where he had obviously had this going on for a while, the spirit would convulse him, throw him down, cause him to wallow. He would foam and gnash his teeth, even be thrown into fire and even be thrown into water. And at this situation, he comes to Jesus because apparently he had heard that Jesus could do things that other people couldn't do, that Jesus hadn't found anything that was impossible. And so tonight I'm asking you, because there seems to be this heaviness and this weight on the people tonight, and and it's been something that I feel has been lingering. See, living by faith isn't, I think I can, 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 I think I can. I think I can, and then building your confessor up, and I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Living by faith is resting in the reality that there is nothing that is impossible for him who believes. Him is gender neutral. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're intelligent or not so intelligent. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. And your belief is not based on your ability to be able to understand and articulate and memorize. Your belief is something that's just put in you. The, the Bible tells us that God gives unto every single one of us a measure of faith. Jesus said, if you have the faith that's the size of a grain, a seed of a mustard seed, you would say unto this mountain, be removed. Nothing is impossible to them that believe. We can see over and over and over again in the Word of God. We can see over and over and over again in church history. In fact, we can see over and over and over again in our own lives where right at the very end, at the last moment in the 11th hour, we didn't give up, we didn't quit, we didn't waver, we didn't just lay down, roll over, and play dead. We continued to stand, and God came through as our deliverer. Amen? As our deliverer. You know, Luther... Uh, Many people don't know this, but Luther did more than just 
get angry <laughs> with the Catholic Church and create a Reformation. Luther actually watched the power of God move across the people and brought them into Revelation. Yes, there were a lot of things that Luther did that were messed up. He didn't quite get the apple far enough away from the Catholic tree, and we all understand that, but praise God, he did something with what he had. Amen? And so, again, you can ask yourself that question. What is it that you're doing with what you have? You may not have all the understanding or all the revelation or all the knowledge. You may not have spent all the time studying and and learning and memorizing, but do you have the measure of faith? Do you have that? And would you be willing not to let it go, but to continue to stand and say, everything is possible. Anything is possible to him who believes. Even if it comes down to the 11th hour, I know that God is not going to fail me. I know that God is faithful to keep his word. I know that God will honor my faith in his word, and he'll honor his word for me because he's a God who keeps covenant with me. Amen? So Luther goes through, and he's got this reformation of the Catholic Church. In the 1960s, there was a medical doctor who was born again and spirit-filled. His name was Yamans, excuse me, L.B. Yamans. And he wrote a book called The Great Physician, and he just basically went through church history uh, in the Bible and just wrote down this book about all the healing miracles that he could find of how Jesus, in the midst of impossible situations, came through and healed people. Maybe you've heard of that book, maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't. Nevertheless, uh, it's a good book. It's, It's not the Bible, but it is a good book. And it builds your faith to see testimonies of God coming through and honoring his word. Amen? That's, that's what the Bible says, that we have these as examples, who through faith and patience inherited the promise. We too can hold on and not give up and not quit, and by faith and patience inherit the promises of God. So Luther's friend is sick unto death, and he's, he's on the way out, seriously ill, on the way out, and Luther comes to visit him. And he says a prayer to God, this, this is recorded Luther says, I called on God, and I repeated to God all of the promises that I could remember, and I said to God, this is Luther, he says, I said to God, if you don't honor this prayer, then it will be very difficult for the one who's praying to ever trust you again. Now, this isn't a fire-breathing, Pentecostal, swinging from a chandelier, tongue-talking, Bible-thumping, devil-casting out, Holy Ghost, Word of Faith Christian like you. This is a Lutheran who, like a day ago, came out of Catholicism. But yet he still had this faith to say, I'm standing here in your presence. I'm looking at this impossible situation. And I absolutely am saying to you, God, my God, if you don't answer my prayer and honor your promises, it'll be very difficult for me to ever trust you again. And God came through and brought this man up and healed him. And there was a wonderful testimony of the healing power of the living Christ who was at work and ministering to his people. Amen. There's another account in, in church history. This goes back to around the 6th century and there's this man who's ill and he's a a nobleman and uh, Augustine visits him and we we have this account 
But he comes to visit his friend who's a nobleman. And he says, what's going on? And he said, I'm, I'm going to die. And so here, Augustine in the 6th century church, they don't know a whole lot. Augustine didn't really have the revelation that you and I have today with the, the teaching and preaching that has gone before him. And he starts to talk to his friend who is a nobleman, and he says, they called me here to pray for you. So as he says this, the man who's in bed, sick unto death, gets himself on the floor and starts travailing in prayer and groaning in prayer and calling out to God in the middle of an impossible situation. He is continuing to cry out to God and groaning and travailing and he's beginning to convulse and all Augustine would, could come up with is super spiritual. He said, God, if you won't answer this guy's prayer, whose prayer will you hear? See, we're talking about a God who's faithful, and Jesus speaks to this, this father of this child who has this spirit, and he says, if you just believe that all things are possible to him who believes, and God steps in and intervenes and ministers healing and ministers health because he's a faithful God. And my Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. If he ever healed anyone ever one time, then he healed them in the New Testament, which we see it over and over and over again, and he can't change. He's got to continue to heal today. If he ever delivered anyone out of the snare of the enemy, out of the pit, out of the mouth of the lion, from the hands of an evil king or a ruler, then he's going to continue to do that today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he ever visited anyone named Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon in a prison when he had lost his mind and was beside himself and brought him back to the use of his right mind. And he was able to look at the truth of who God was and change his heart toward God. Then he can still break into your situation today, even if the doctors have said that you need a list of prescriptions because your mind is out to lunch, you can still have the use of your right mind according to the book of Daniel. God will break into your situation and bring a change because he's the faithful God who always only ever keeps covenant. Amen? Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we can simply just believe in all things, not some things, not a couple of things, not the easy things, but all things are possible to who? Him who believes. Him who believes. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad I came to church tonight. No, but really, I'm glad I came to church tonight. Amen? Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for the Holy Ghost? Aren't you glad for the Word of God? You want another scripture or two just to be encouraged and ministered to? Well, then let's do it. You've twisted my arm, and I'm going to do this. I think what happens, though, especially in the day that we live in, because we've got WebMD, and so we can say, I sneezed once, so I probably have AIDS, and I'm not sure, but I might die tomorrow. Now, that's exaggerating, but I know people that are just like that. I got a bump on my arm. I know it's cancer. I'm going to die. Dude, it's a spider bite. It's just, you just got bit by a spider last night while you're sleeping. Even, even if it was cancer, all things are possible to him who believes. It doesn't matter 
what you're facing. It doesn't matter how difficult or impossible the situation looks. But, but again, today, in the day and age that we live in, it's like we have so many resources and we have so many opportunities and so many opinions and so much doubt and unbelief has crept in, even into the church. Now, I hate it when people say this because it just shouldn't be this way. But I hear preachers say this all the time. Well, you can have miracles on the mission field because they're poor. Well, I don't want to be poor, and I also want to have miracles. Amen? I don't want to be poor spirit, soul, or body. I don't want to be poor physically, financially, emotionally, or socially, or spiritually. I don't believe it brings God any glory to be poor in any way, shape, or form. I'm not talking about dollar bills. There's a, there's a life that you can live that has nothing to do with dollar bills. Amen? God doesn't want you poor in that life, and he doesn't want you poor in this life. It does nothing for God for you to go without. A, a great friend of mine one time told me we were talking about prosperity. <laughs> this is a long time ago. And we were, we were working together, and he said, God doesn't get any glory. Now, you've got to understand this person's heart, because I know him. He said, God doesn't get any glory for someone driving down the road with a car that has holes in it so big that babies fall through it, and a bumper sticker that says, God's my provider. Now, I'm not talking about being wealthy. I'm talking about being provided for. Again, we talked on Sunday. If God has accepted the title of Father, then he's accepted the responsibility to provide for us anything we have need of, not just money, not just a nice house, not, not natural things, but anything, but also natural things as well. I'm not saying that you need to go and sell your car and go into debt and live, you know, cash poor but pretend to be rich. That's not what I'm talking about. This is not a game, but I believe that the Lord wants to provide all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I also believe Jesus is talking about money when he says in Luke's gospel, if you give money, money will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He will cause men to give back to you for the same measure you've measured without. It'll be measured again. He's talking about money. We don't give to get, oh, hey, a cosmic slot machine. But we can understand that there's a law of reciprocity, seed time and harvest. And when we put seed in the ground, it brings an increase. It brings a produce. Again, we're talking about God supplying every aspect of our, of our life and being our source. But we don't have to. Now, listen to me very carefully. I didn't want to offend anybody with that statement. I hope I didn't. But the Bible is so full of information concerning those things. We don't have time to get all the scriptures out tonight. We don't have to be in a place where we're completely without to go to a place where we only rely on God. Now listen, because that's a really important statement. You can have money in the bank and money in an account that, that's investment in retirement, and you can still say, I'm not going to lean onto my, my financial portfolio. I'm running to God. You don't have to be in a place where you have nothing to be able to make the decision to run to him and to look to him. Amen? It's good preaching, Pastor. Thanks. I like it. I like it. I like it. Amen? Hezekiah, you remember that story? Turn to Isaiah chapter 38. Have you gotten that yet? It's the story of the prophet Isaiah. He comes into the king's house. Everybody say the king. Comes into the king's house. 
The first verse, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. I just want to make sure everybody's reading the same verse that I'm reading, because how many of you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey said? It doesn't end that way, but that's what he said, right? He says, set your house in order, because you're going to die and you're not going to live. So he releases that word. I've met a lot of people who want to have that ministry, just going around telling everybody, God's going to kill you. But thank God that he doesn't do that anymore right now. Anyway, that moved over real well. But verse 2, it says, Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall. This is a king. He's not without. He's not broke, busted, or disgusted. He's just sick unto death. He's the king. His great-great-grandfather was King David. There's money in the house. The Bible says when Solomon reigned as a king... That silver was as nothing because everything was made of gold. So this guy's not without money. He's, he's not in a position where he can't look anywhere else. The prophet of God comes to him and says, set your house in order. You're going to die. You are not going to live. The second verse, Hezekiah the king turns his face towards the wall. And prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and in loyalty. Now listen. I want you to hear this because (laughs) this is important that you understand. You don't get to say things that aren't true. You can't just take somebody else's testimony and use it for yourself unless you can qualify yourself with those same words. See, you get into a situation and someone comes and says, man, this is going to be bad. I I see this coming. It's not going to end the way you want it to. You can turn your face toward the wall. You can pray to the Lord and you can say, hey, God, remember me. I did it my own way when I felt like it, I did. And He says, I have walked before you, verse 3, in truth, and with a loyal or a peaceful heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And the Bible says that Hezekiah wept bitterly. I mean, Isaiah walked and said, Hi, king. How are you doing today? It looks like you're not doing great. I got some good news for you. Get your house ready. You're about to die. Oh, by the way, you're not going to live. Bye, king. He turns around and walks away. That's what happened. That's what happened. Now, I don't want that ministry. I'm not, willing, I'm not willing to walk around and just pronounce death on people. I'm a messenger of life, amen? I'm a messenger of peace and of hope and of strength and of light, not, not of death. Anyway, it says here, he, he said, Remember, Lord, that I walked before you in truth. Now, it's interesting because the King James Version of the Bible says something I think it would be good for us to look at real quick in this verse. I want to read it to you. And, and it brings a little bit more understanding to what Hezekiah is actually saying to the Lord when he prays. He says here, let's get to Hezekiah, which is Isaiah chapter 38. Thank you. He said, remember now, O Lord, verse 3, I beseech you, 
how I walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart. He didn't say I was perfect. He didn't, he didn't go to God and say, I, I was perfect. I never made a mistake. What he said was, my heart was to be pleasing to you. My heart was to be acceptable to you. My heart wasn't to tick you off, but to make you happy. I believe that we can get to a place where we're walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, where we can say like Jesus did in John chapter 8, I always do the things that please the Father. We can say to God, hey, remember me. I've walked before you. My heart was right. I might not have gotten it right every single time, but my heart wasn't to be contrary to your word. My heart wasn't to be contrary to your will. My heart wasn't to be contrary to your, to your purpose in life. That I, I, I may have blown it, I realize that, but you can judge me that my heart was pure before you. My heart was right before you. Amen. He said, I walked before you in truth and with a good, wholesome, peaceful, perfect heart. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. More than just words. He's up against an impossible situation. In the day, the prophet of all prophets just said, boy, you're going to die. Get your house right. You're not going to live. You're going to die. I mean, this is it. Hezekiah had a choice. He could say, well, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away like Job's friend. Or he could do what he did, which he turned his face to the wall, and in the midst of an impossible situation, he remembered the Lord. In the midst of an impossible situation, he beseeched God. In the middle of an impossible situation, he brought his record before the Lord and said, my heart has always been right. My actions, sometimes I screwed it up, but my heart was always right to be honorable before you and, and right before you, and you know my heart. And so God says in the fourth verse, go back to tell Hezekiah that this is is what the God of his father, David, has saying to him. What a powerful, powerful testimony. Go tell him, I heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. 15 years. Now, when you're about to die and you've been told to get your house right, you're on your way out. 15 years is not a bad gig, right? But, but there's more to the story because I don't know if we've been able to extrapolate in our lightning fast minds. But he was what? The first verse says? He was sick and what? Near death. I wonder if he got healed. So in the middle of an impossible situation where even the prophet of God comes in and says, boy, you're dead. Now, did the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, come upon Isaiah and tell Isaiah to go to Hezekiah, the king's house? Absolutely he did. Absolutely he did. In his day, Isaiah is the greatest prophet on planet Earth. I mean, he's God's like number one man. Yes or no? The kings were messed up. Right? Judges are done away with. Here, here we have the kings entering in and now God's ruling with the king and with the prophet over his people. And then you got the kingdom subdivided, and we won't get into that. But, but this, is the, this is the number one guy on the earth. 
He's not given to make mistakes and to speak flippantly. He, he went in the, in the power of the Spirit of the Lord. He went and prophesied as the Lord spoke to him to prophesy. I heard a preacher say one time, well, Isaiah, he missed it, so it's all right if I miss it. Well, that may be true that it's all right if you miss it, but I certainly wouldn't build your doctrine or theology on Isaiah missing because he didn't miss it. The Holy Ghost told him to go, and he did. And he spoke exactly what the Lord told him to. What happened was there was a turning to God in the middle of an impossible situation. And Jesus said to this man, which by the way is still the Old Testament, Jesus said to this man in the Gospels, which is before his death, which is still the Old Testament, Jesus says, you can have faith. And if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Same covenant, same agreement, same testament as the king Hezekiah. And God says, go back in and talk to Hezekiah again. I've changed my mind. I've seen his heart. He reminded me that he hasn't forsaken me. He reminded me that he walked before me in truth. He reminded me that his heart was right, that he never wanted to tick me off or do something intentional that was against my word. Now, interject today's modern Christianity, and people say this all the time, and I go, they say, I know the Bible says, but... If we could just parallel the two, the two scenarios. One, we say, Lord, remember me. I've walked before you in truth. My heart has been perfect, the King James says. My heart has been right before you. I never did anything intentionally to make you mad. And then the other scenario is, well, I know that the Bible says this, but... I'm loving on you. God adds 15 years to his life. And of course we see that he's, he, he's living 15 years longer, but he apparently isn't laying on the bed anymore. And he apparently isn't doing the things that he was doing anymore. In fact, we see according to the scriptures and according to the verses that Hezekiah get ups and go, he gets up and goes and does some things in those 15 years. Praise God he didn't just lay there for 15 years waiting for the day to end. He went and did something for God. Amen. So that tells me that God healed him supernaturally on his deathbed, brought him up, added years to his life after he had already spoken by his man, this guy's going out. That's the kind of God that we serve. Even in the midst of a situation where you could say, well, a man of God told me, and that person may be a man or a woman of God, but God can still turn if we remind him of our heart toward him and our walk before him was pure and upright and holy and just and we lived in Christ and we never did anything to tick him off or will we stand there with a basket full of yabbats? First Samuel chapter 30 verse 1 says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, he said, attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. Had taken captive the women and those who were who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Verse 3, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. 
put the human element into this equation. These men of war cried until they ran out of power to cry anymore. It wasn't just one tiny little tear that was just squeezed out. They wept before the Lord until they ran out of power to weep. That's an impossible situation. My city is burned. My wives are gone and my sons are gone and, and my daughters are gone and my house is burnt to the ground and all my stuff is gone. And what in the world are we going to do? That's a bad day. That's an impossible situation. Here's something that's just for fun and for free. Anytime something like that happens in the body, it's always worse for the leader. It's always worse for the leader. And in this situation, we find out that Pastor Brian's not full of it. It actually is worse for the leader. And it says here in verse 5, and David's two wives, yes, that's correct, uh, had been taken captive. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the people cried so much and he just had his heart broken and didn't want him to cry anymore. No. Maybe he had one wife that was his favorite and he wouldn't have minded too much if the other one went. But, but anyway, the Bible says that he was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. The captain. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. The literal translation is it was bitter and burdensome. The soul of all the people was grieved in every man for his sons and his daughters. So David laid down and gave up. No. In the middle of an impossible situation. I mean, you're in your hometown, and there's not like a building you can go and hide in, John. They burned them down. You can't go and hang out and be disguised as one of the other people in the village or in the town because there's nobody else there. They're all gone, and everybody knows who you are because you're the captain of the military, and you've been anointed to be the king. You don't get to hide. There's no, you don't hide in the, in the back like we see in, in, in the Bible where God says, mighty man of valor, and he's hiding on the threshing floor. Gideon, just hiding out. There, there's nothing left to hide under. There's not a room to go and tuck yourself away in. So David literally is looking around and seeing all these people. They've cried so much, they've lost their ability to cry. They've lost their homes. They've lost their wives. They've lost their children. Their favorite hunting dog was probably burned or let loose and gone. And all their trophy bucks that they had mounted, you know, their flat panel TVs with their this and that, just destroyed, gone, wiped out. And David's standing there in the middle of all this saying, man, this sucks. And then they look at him and say, kill him. <laughs> David's like, real quick, let me go over and hide it. Oh, crap, there's nothing there. It's burned down to the ground. Thank God David didn't just give up and quit in the middle of an impossible situation. 
The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Jesus says to this man, nothing is impossible to him that believes. All things are possible. So I've given you an, ex an example in the Old Testament of Hezekiah, and he's not without. He's, he's not like he, that he can't go anywhere else. He's just going to die, and there's a part that all the money in the world isn't going to be able to help him, and being the king don't matter when you're on your deathbed, sick unto death. And then here comes the lone prophet and saying, hey, how you doing, Hezzy? Yeah, you're going to die. All right, well, see you later. It's a rough deal. Now we could go on and on and on and on. Think about Noah. The whole earth is killed except for him, his wife, his sons, and their wives. Two of every kind. Everything else is done away with. Everything else is gone. The Bible says that the Lord caused the waters to cease and the levels came down enough to where he could get out on land and we know the story of the, the, the dove going out and he came back and he's like, all right, well, we can get out of the boat. I don't know what we're going to do because everybody's dead. In the middle of an impossible situation, what's the first thing that he does? Builds an altar before the Lord. He goes to God. He turns his head to the wall. He has faith in God. That's Noah's story. We could go on and talk about the prophet in, in 1 Kings where he's trying to make a stand for God that the hearts of the children will come back to the Father and away from Baal and Jezebel and, and the messed up situation that's going on in, in God's, God's kingdom and God's land. And then... He prophesies, and the Bible says that he has the power to be able to say when the drought is going to end. God takes him to the brook Cherith, and the brook dries up, and he's been feeding him with flesh from a raven's mouth and drinking, and all of a sudden it's gone. Impossible situations. You continue on in that story, it gets even gooder. He goes on the mountain and literally is standing there just making fun of everybody and saying, you guys are jokers. Dude, cry out louder. He might be sleeping. Wake up your God. What am I saying tonight? And, and I'm going to be done with this. I hope that this encouraged you and I hope that this ministered to you. But, but in the middle of these impossible situations that, that we seem to get ourselves in or seem to happen because Ecclesiastes says that time and chance will happen to everybody. We have an opportunity to either give up or to dig in, double down and say, all things are possible to them that believe. Amen? Amen. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. The life of faith is just simply resting in the reality that God is exactly who he says he is. He's going to do exactly what he said he would do, and he's causing you to be exactly who he made you to become. 
This is the life of faith. We don't, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. We just worship God. In the middle of total devastation and destruction, we just build an altar and become intimate with God and worship him and honor him. When we're looking around in our hometown and our house has been burnt down to the ground, all of our stuff is destroyed, all of our people are gone, we can encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. We can find ourselves in a situation like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where the Bible says that the king told the guard, Make, take it to kill the guy. Oh, that's not hot enough. Take it to seven times hotter than kill the guy. That's a little redundant, don't you think? Here's this temperature setting. Death. Take it seven times hotter than kill the guy. Bible says that the people who are guarding the furnace died it was so hot. That's smoking hot. And poor Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just melted away to nothing, didn't they? They praised God. They finally got it back down to just kill the guy instead of seven times hotter than kill the guy. And they pulled the old window open and said, I thought we put three of those dudes in there. But there's one in the middle of them. See, he's not going to leave us or forsake us. Here's the question. Will we leave him or forsake him? We don't have to. We can can encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. We can stay steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the truth. But he's not going to leave us. Daniel could have bowed to the pressure. He could have hid himself away after the decree came and said, you can't worship any other God but the king. And Daniel, I can just, I mean, Daniel must have had an attitude. He just, I imagine him just walking up to his window and just kicking the thing open, bending down right before the Lord and saying, I'm going to pray no matter who tells me I can't pray. I'm going to worship no matter who tells me I can't worship. I will not bow down to another God. I will not engage in idol worship. I don't care what the pressures of the world say. I don't care what the threats of the enemy are. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to be faithful to my God. He's never going to leave me and he's never going to forsake me. And I'm also never going to leave him and I'm never going to forsake him. Come on now, amen? So I'm telling you tonight not to just stir you up, but expect that the mouths of the lions and the devourer are going to be closed supernaturally by the power of God. Expect that the, the, the fires that just keep coming against you and coming against you and coming against you that are trying to just burn away all your stuff and all your health and all your happiness and all your joy and all your peace and all your strength. Expect those fires are not going to have any power over your body. Even your clothes are not going to be burned. You'll walk through the fire. God's not putting you in it, he'll bring you out of it. If he's putting you there, he's not going to deliver you. If he would, he'd be schizophrenic and you should run from him. But he's going to deliver you when the enemy comes to devour you. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. I'm preaching really good. And then remember Jesus. Remember Jesus in the middle of an impossible situation. History tells us that the forests, the forests were cut down for the persecution of the Christian church. 
Now, we're not going to get gory and weird, but they cut down trees to make crosses to crucify Christians. Nero was a wicked and evil man, and, and I'm not trying to be gruesome, but he lit his gardens with the flesh of Christians. They, they went in with the gladiators and the lions, and, and, and they had these huge spectacles where they just tortured Christians. There was a great tribulation that came. It's human history. It's church history. They would take teams of horses opposing each other and tie Christians hands on one, feet on the other, and say, renounce Christ. And they'd say, no, Jesus is the Christ. And they'd crack the teams of horses and tear their bodies into pieces. This is for real. So how bad is your tribulation that you're facing? How bad is the trial? Now, I'm not, listen, you're looking at someone who's been through some stuff, and I've gone through some stuff. This isn't someone who's had just this perfect life, and I've never had any aches or pains or loss or, or discouragement or, or opportunities. But I, I'm not going to give up because all things are possible to him that believes. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be like Abraham. I'm not going to look at the things in the natural and then become weak in faith, considering and wavering at the promise through doubt and unbelief, but I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord my God like David and like Abraham and like many others who did. I'm going to be like Samson when it even feels like I'm in bondage. They took my eyes out. I've lost my strength. They've got me captive. I'm here now to be a spectacle. The Philistines are all about me. They've brought me into this place. They've bound me to the pillars, and Samson cry to God was, just come upon me one more time. The Bible says that Samson killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. He destroyed these people that had mocked him and mocked his God. Well, I don't believe that you have to die. I don't believe that that's the purpose or the plan or the will of God that we all become martyrs for him. The persecution that you and I might be facing, it's real. We probably won't lose our life for our faith. I'm just being real. We probably won't lose our life for our faith. We may lose friends. Family members once in a while might not want to talk to us because we make a stand for the Bible. We have to continue to stand. And the Apostle Paul says this, and I want to get to this verse where Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before me endured the cross, despising the shame. Amen. That was the verse. But the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, his son in the faith, he says, when I was there at my trial, no one stood with me. And then he makes this very, very powerful statement. He said, but the Lord stood with me. And he strengthened me. See, you might be in a trial. You might be in a tribulation. You might be facing pressure. You might be facing high waters. You may be facing flames and fire. And you may be facing persecution that's real. You won't lose your life for it. I don't believe it'll come to that. But even if you're your spouse, your family, your children, even if your friends and, and, and your prayer partner and your Bible study group, even if they turn their back on you. The Apostle Paul says, at my trial, 
None stood with me, but the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me. I want to encourage you tonight, and I believe that this encouraged you. I, I trust that it did. I hope that it did. Don't give up on the, on the verge of a breakthrough. And don't bow or bend to the pressure of the tempter or the temptation that he is bringing. Know where it's coming from. And Jesus said, be of good cheer in this life. Jesus said in this life. I heard a preacher one time say, well, you know, you become a Christian and you're never going to have any pressure, never going to have any trial, never going to have tribulation anymore. And I sat there and raised my hand and I said, Jesus said in this life, you will have tribulation. So, I mean, I like you, but I like Jesus more. And isn't it interesting that I don't have to use faith for trials and tribulations? They, they just come. I don't have to get in faith and pray one up. It's going to happen. In this life, you will have trials and tribulation. Thank God that's not the end of the verse, Jim. You know it's not the end of the verse, right? He says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. First John says this. He said, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Then he says, who is it, by the way, that overcomes the world? He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And then he, he goes on and then he asks a question. Who is it that overcomes the world? Oh, he believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We don't have to bend to the pressure. We don't have to bend to the trial. We don't have to bend to the tribulation. We really have become overcomers through him who loved us. Amen? We really have victory and authority and ability. And God is never going to leave us, and he's never going to forsake us. So I encourage you tonight, double down on faith. Double down on God's word. Don't let go of the word of God, but hold fast to your confession. Don't let go of your confidence because the Bible says in vain because it has great recompense of reward. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't let go of your faith. Don't let go of the confession that God's a good God and he loves you and he's for you. There's great recompense of reward if you'll hold fast. The enduring is simply just standing and resting. I'll say that again because it's super good preaching. I said the enduring... Is just simply standing on the promises. Luther said, I said to God every promise I could remember. And then I said to him, if you won't answer my prayer, it will be very difficult for the petitioner, or the one praying, to trust you anymore. And God answered the promises. See, You've heard me say this, and I'm done. Satan is going to attack the promise because he can't touch the provision. It's been paid forever and ever and ever and ever. So he's going to attack that promise and see whether or not you really believe it and see whether or not you're willing to hold on to it and see whether or not you're willing to turn it loose and let it go. Because he can't touch the provision. It's already been dealt with. Amen. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Amen. We continue to press in. We continue to press on. No matter what we experience, no matter what we face, our experiences don't change God's word. And we can stand and say, now, 
Lord, your word says this. And if you're not going to honor your word, it's going to be very difficult for me to trust you. In the late 1800s, there was a, a preacher. And he was coming across from England. Dr. Parker was his name. He was a pastor in London. Big, big blowing and going work. And see, the reason that we study church history, by the way, is to be strengthened and encouraged. Not so we can tout this information, because that doesn't do anything for anybody. But see, what, what I'm looking for for me when I'm reading these stories and what I'm looking for for you when you're hearing these testimonies is that you find the spiritual truth that caused them to have the outcome, and then you can apply it in your life. Amen? So here this preacher is coming over from, from the, crossing the pond on a ship, and he's sitting out on, on the dock of the ship, and he's just staring at the water. And the ocean's just vast. Nothing around him but water. And he's sat there for hours. And finally, one of the preachers who's traveling with him comes up to him and says, Dr. Parker, what do you see? And he said, only God. Even if it's like, I am all alone in this humongous body of tribulation. All I see is God. I don't know what you're seeing. I don't know what you're looking at, but only God. That's all I see. God is able and he's willing. Amen. Amen. So we can't look at just the things that we can see naturally. But we look at those things that we can't see. Amen. That sixth sense is the, the spirit of faith. That we, we touch the God uh, uh, realm with faith. We go and supernaturally transcend natural things into spiritual things with that sixth sense of faith. All things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible to him that believeth. If you can just believe, all things are possible. And the man said, Lord, just help my unbelief. And then what happens? The crowd comes up to him and wanted to talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, come out of him. And he's healed, set free, and delivered. He'd been, he'd been in this condition since his childhood. So again, don't, don't give up. Don't, don't give up. Don't quit. There are so many people. I mean, we could go on and on and on. And they, <laughs> they tell you in Bible school, in homiletics class, trust me, I know, that you're never supposed to end a sermon on a down point. So here comes violation number one of homiletics. For every story of a victory, I can tell you a story of defeat where someone quit and someone gave up. And those people become statistics. And those are woes for you and for me. We look at that and say, woe to us that we would lose hope and lose faith and lose our confidence and, and let go of our confession. Woe unto us that we would turn our back on God instead of turning our back toward the wall, instead of being like Dr. Parker and say, I don't, in the middle of it all, all I see is God. In the middle of it all, all I see is God. So I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, whatever that means, but, but I want you to say, to realize that it's not, a, life is not always a holiday. On Primrose Lane, there are people that quit and give up, but we don't have to. 
And the word says that we are not of those who draw back unto perdition, but we are those who believe the saving of the soul. So we press in. Amen. Hebrews says that we should strengthen our feeble knees and, and strengthen our hands that hang down and not turn ourselves away, but rather turn ourselves to God that we can be healed, that we can be strengthened, that we can be lifted up, that we can be encouraged, that we can be empowered. Don't look at our feeble knees and our hands that hang down and say, well, it's time to quit because look, my knees got feeble and my hands got heavy. No, don't turn them away, but turn them back to God and say, heal me, strengthen me, lift me, encourage me. I'm going to hold, I'm going to, you know, there are times where you just got to shut the door. And David didn't get this opportunity. There was no door to shut. But there are times where we just have to shut the door and say, I'm just going to let all you guys wait for a minute. All that noise is going to be there in a few minutes. Right now, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord my God. Amen. You're just going to leave the noise out there for a minute. i got to deal with something here real quick. He'll never leave you or forsake you. So don't leave him or forsake him. Don't give up. Amen. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, even, now th here, here's where this applies. Even at times where we've been faithless, you are faithful. Even at times when we've been faithless, you're faithful. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that we can, as Luther said, we, 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 can, we can go to you and know that if we bring the promises to you, that you're going to hear them, that you're going to hear them, that you're going to honor our faith in your word and honor your word for us and toward us because you're watching over it to perform it. That we can be like Hezekiah who can say to you in truth, I I've always walked before you in truth. We can say in truth, not, not just hoping or, or faking it till we make it, but literally we can say to you, Father, we've had a perfect heart. We've never intentionally done something that was wrong. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father. And I pray, Lord God, that you would undergird and lift and strengthen and encourage and bless. And as Jude says, to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.